The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Well, welcome back. We're having a conversation through the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and you know, sometimes it just seems like, ugh, you know, it's, it's draining. How, has, is there anyone in the room that's actually read the entire book of Ecclesiastes? You were just in, in a mood. You wanted to be depressed, you know. You let me read this book. And it finally gets good at the end, doesn't it? Like the last few verses. Like, wow, you could have told me that up front and saved me so much pain. Uh, I wonder if there's a God or if I should even care, you know. <clears throat> and so we discovered last week that uh, Jonathan, excuse me, Solomon was a, a guy who probably, you know, didn't work and, and was a, the prince and raised in a palace and had the best of, of everything uh, his father provided because his dad was the king. Solomon didn't earn anything that he, was, that he had. It was given to him. Primarily, wisdom was a gift that God gave to him. I'm going to give this to you. And, and Paul tells us in Romans chapter 11 that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So, you know, this is a gift that in some cases became kind of a curse to him as he disconnected from himself from God further and further. We, just knowing the arc of his story, you can see from his writings, maybe Solomon's path as a younger man experiencing uh, love and intimacy with a woman. He writes the Song of Solomon, you know, a, a, a very uh, passionate, you know, okay, it's erotic book of Hebrew literature, you know, you know, read it with one eye, woo and then, um, or, or both eyes, you know. It, 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 the Song of Solomon, if it was a movie, would, would probably have a red band trailer. Those of you who know films, See, two of you. All right. Then, um, and then as, as he's older and the story of his life and his observations are being collected, the book of Proverbs is put together, you know, 3,000 plus Proverbs. And, and Proverbs, unlike some of the promises in the New Testament, for example, the Proverbs are not promises from God, whether they're contingent or not contingent. This, this is our, our observations on life. Generally, this is how life seems to work. These are things you could learn uh, from someone else. Uh, life experience. And we are probably, when I say we, I mean the baby boomers, those of us who were born between the 50s and the early 60s, were, were probably the last generation that were not raised on Proverbs. Um, like, for example, you know, you've heard that one, experience is the best teacher. But really, folks are not quoting the full proverb. It's experience is the best teacher, comma, as long as it's someone else's experience. Because you don't have to relearn the wheel, reinvent the wheel. You don't have to discover that... Um, Unhealthy relationships lead to unhealthy results. So Solomon writes a book of Proverbs where if, if folks read this book, could gain wisdom and insight into life much quicker. But then it seems towards the end of his life, uh, he writes a book that we're studying now called the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's a book written by a man who spent his life, um, he was just dialed in and been able to discern and understand by this gift of God of wisdom. But it became a curse to him because somewhere along the line he disconnected from God. Over and over again he mentions the, the phrase under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. And he's speaking about life at a, at a purely material level. Yet, even though it seems to be a book that's faithless, it is a faithful book in the sense that I understand you do exist. He refers to God throughout the book many, many times, like 40 plus times, but never in a personal way or never in the personal name that he was known by in the Old Testament. 
never in the personal name that he had used when he first asked God for wisdom. So what happened to this guy? What, where did he go off track? I'm going to take you to 1 Kings chapter 10 and uh, to show you, I think, what happened here. 1 Kings chapter 10 verse 23 says this, that King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings on the earth. The whole world sought audience of Solomon to hear his wisdom, hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. So I want you to catch something here. Here's a king that's uh, wise and powerful, but people don't go to him for money or favors. They just want insight and wisdom. Okay? That's what they're looking for from him. Uh, Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of gold and silver, robes, weapons and spices, horses and mules. I don't know why you bring a weapon, like, you know, here's my gat, bro. You know, (laughs) this is for you, man. You know, you know, and... uh, but people brought weapons. That's, so it, that seems like an odd thing in the list, you know, but okay. Nunchucks or something. So um, verse 26, Solomon, <clears throat> on his part, accumulated chariots and horses, and he had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities in Jerusalem. So some of, you, some of you folks, you have a closet like just for your shoes. He had a city just for his horses. You know, this is, he wins, all right? And... Um, the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and the cedar as plentiful of sycamore trees, and it just goes on to describe his wealth. <clears throat> I want you to know that this guy got to a point to maintain his wealth and to generate wealth that he did tax uh, the folks in Israel, and the taxes became the reason that actually separated the country and divided it between Israel in the north and Judah in the south. When he dies, um, the people are looking for relief from the taxes, and he didn't provide it. So, it, you know, here's this great guy. A lot of money, a lot of resources, and a gift from God, wisdom that nobody else has ever had before or since. What happens? Chapter 11. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. Now, read, now listen to this. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. But nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Here's one principle you can take away. First of all, this is not a prohibition of interracial marriage. Uh, Unfortunately, in a very hateful way, that's actually been quoted. um, To, you know, as a... See, God doesn't want people of different races to marry. No. God was saying, look, be careful who you give your heart to, because they will take it to the thing that they love. And so Solomon began to care for and love women whose gods were completely different than the God of Israel. And, um, you know, if you go Google, I guess, or history books and look up some of the culture, it was destructive and weird and, and uh, it still functioned somehow, but um, not healthy. And, and it tended to, um, to deteriorate in many cases. And so Solomon begins to... You know, he cares for the women. He begins to get attached spiritually to where they were at. And if you read his story in Kings and Chronicles, he actually put some of those shrines and, and small temple sites on the temple courts of God of Israel. So folks would go uh, sacrifice to Molech or whatever God over here, and then, you know, go see Jehovah of the Old Testament. And, and if you read further, some of the practices get to be kind of creepy and weird where as a culture, some folks were able to 
actually uh, sacrifice or murder their own children in service to their God. And that's when a culture seems to have hit rock bottom, right? I mean, if you're able to, to um, either kill your own child or children for the sake of appeasing a certain God that you believe exists, if that's your worldview, it almost seems that um, there's very little for God to work with. There's no natural warmth or, rea- or morality to work with, and he's kind of done. And this is where Israel had gotten to at some points. <clears throat> Solomon is the one that introduced some of this into the culture. Okay, now let me, t- let me show you what else happens here. He had 700 wives. I don't even know how to, I mean, what do you say? I, you know, <laughs> One husband, one wife's enough, isn't it? Those of us who are married, like, yeah, one is plenty. Two, it's like, okay, well, creepy. Um, seven, like, dude, what's wrong with you? 700? I, you know, how do you even begin to address that? But, you know, that wasn't enough, apparently. And 300 concubines, you know, girlfriends on the side, because, you know, I... <laughs> how much time does this guy have, you know? But... You know, the, there's that comedy, but it's the last half of the verse. It's tragic, and his wives led him astray. And by the way, it, this is not just a women thing, right? Guys do this too. It's like, oh, see, women, yeah, you know, Eve, women, yeah, you know, no. And it's just that's who he was giving his heart to were people who were not in a good place. And as Solomon grew old, he turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord God as the heart of David, his father, had been. He followed Ashtaroth and these gods, and it goes on and on to explain where he was at. And so this is, this is where he got to. And this is probably the place where he wrote Ecclesiastes from. So let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Take a look at some of the verses and hear what's happening. Verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. And I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone else who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. And then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also to madness and also to folly. But I learned that this too is chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow, and the more knowledge, the more grief. So he's at a place where um, he's finding out that the wisdom that used to sort of keep him dialed in and feel connected to God, that seemed to help him with his connection to God and helped others to connect to God, is now a curse. And what I mean by this, if you think, was it verse 15? Yeah, verse 15. Uh, here's a couple things to take away from this uh, that, that I've just, I've, I'm convinced of this. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in, in your lives and you know, things that you guys have shared, whether by email or, or text and stuff. Hey, let's show a few of those, shall we? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> See, some of that, what? I, I'm this, of course, of course. I, I would never do that here. I, you know, we will send out on Facebook, but never here. <clears throat> I, I'm joking about this because I, I do feel this a little bit, but here's what I know. When you are under stress, it could be emotional stress, financial stress, a relational stress, career stress, physical stress. You know, because you know how sometimes when, you, when you're not feeling well, you have a cold or you're, you're sick or an upset stomach, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not fun to be around because you're just, you're, you know, you're in pain. I get that. But when you're under stress, here's what's going to happen. And, and wisdom is not enough to protect you from this. 
you will always, always, always go back to who you really are. You will always go back to what is more practiced or, per, or preferred, or you go back to what you've developed a taste for. Now, it's not necessarily bad things, but they can be. Like, for example, the way some of you are wired emotionally, if you have a relational emotional stress issue, what you do, instead of being more honest and transparent, you pull back emotionally. You pull back even physically at times because you're under stress. Um, for some of us, it could be, you know, I don't know, you go shopping, I mean, which is the healthy thing to do, I guess. Uh, or, you know, you'll go pursue material entertainment on the Internet that perhaps isn't healthy and appropriate. And in every area, I, this is what I've seen. This is what's happening. If you're under stress, you'll go back to something to give you a sense of control over your body, over your money, over a relationship, or you pull back in fear of, of re-injury. <clears throat> now, if that's true, if we've developed the muscle of connecting to Christ or to God through Jesus Christ, then our stressors will be catalysts to drive us to God. But it's, so what Solomon's pointed out in verse 15, I got all this wisdom, and I go back to what I am. Now, which is another thing about wisdom. You can know all about this, and you could read all of these important leadership development books, and you go to school, and you know stuff, and you, you know. And yet, wisdom is not enough to protect you from any kind of poison you've taken. You, what makes it worse is that you know what's happening. You could explain it, why you're sick and not healthy and doing well. Wisdom is not enough to keep you from going back to what's dumb about us and unhealthy about us. It is the doing that keeps us well and makes us strong. Wisdom by itself is not enough. It's a great thing to have, but it can be a curse if we disconnect ourselves from God. And for Solomon, I think what might have been worse is that he had a, a time when he was really dialed into God, and now it's absent. And, and, and just to put that in a relational sense, you know, it's those times that perhaps, you know, if you've had a close, close friend, and, and there's a break in the relationship, whether it's, well, of course, dis distance now almost seems irrelevant, right, with technology. But some of us have had those experiences where you had a close, important relationship in your life, and it was healthy and it's good. And then when it leaves, you feel the, 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 the gap of that in your soul deeply. And so Solomon felt it deeply. But here's the thing that happens to us, as has happened to Solomon. And, and we're going to see this more in chapter 2. The universe cannot stand a vacuum. Your soul cannot put up with a vacuum. It, we will drive ourselves to fill it with something. We cannot be empty. Even if we're filling it up with stuff that we know. This is not going to be good, but it's better than nothing. You know? What's that old joke? He may not be Mr. Right, but he's Mr. Right now. You know? So, so, this may not be good, but it's better than nothing. Some of you are going to walk out of here and think, Mr. Right now. Oh, I got that. <laughs> Chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. As I read this, I want you to notice how many times he uses the word I and the two occasions where he uses the word myself. Okay? I'm going to, let me just read this through as one solid block. <clears throat> I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine, embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. 
I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under, the, under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves, um, flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. The delights of the heart of men. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. And I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for my labor. Yet, yet when it was all said and done, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and all I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. The, the, the thing about uh, when he mentioned, I, I, I wanted to use my wisdom to examine madness and folly. How many of you ever felt there was like there was a wafer thin barrier between you and insanity? You, you know those moments where you think, am I going insane? Is this normal to be amused by this for hours on end? Why do I find this hilarious? Am I going insane? Is it wrong to have sock puppets as friends? No, Octavio, I didn't think so either. I'm laughing with you because I know some of you have had those deep, deep moments where you felt you had a thin grasp on reality and your sanity. And you've gone places in your head that were like, wow, that was dark. But what if you knew you were going insane and you could still observe it? My wisdom stayed intact with me as my own soul was deteriorating in front of me. That would be incredible madness. What do you do when you feel like you're empty and nothing you have fills you up? Here's what's crazy. You consume more. And some of us are under the uh, illusion that your unhappiness is based on the fact that you just don't have enough. If I just had a better husband... If I just had a better wife, if I just had a wife, you know, uh, if I had a nicer car, a car that just turned over, you know, or, you know, it actually worked, if I didn't have these student loans, if I had gone to school, if I lived in a bigger house, if I lived in a smaller house, if my hair was longer, my hair was shorter, if I didn't have back me. You weren't paying attention and wanted to make sure you were out there. <laughs> and sometimes they're not necessarily bad things that we want, but we just get fooled into thinking that somehow that thing will make me feel better about myself. And, and listen, I'm, I'm going to suggest to you that what I'm convinced of now is that if you don't have your value and identity from God, you will have no meaning in your life as well. And so some of you are perhaps are processing, you know, this is worth it, does it make sense, it's sometimes hard work, it feels like it's all uphill. Maybe part of it is that the, the very thing that you want to accomplish, you're trying to accomplish alone, and nothing of value, nothing that matters, 
Nothing that is deep and significant is ever accomplished alone, including the crafting of your soul. And, and, and I know that for some of us, sometimes relationships and honest, transparent ones are difficult because, you know, what if they find out, what if they really find me and they don't find me interesting anymore or want to be my friend? I, I get that. But this is where you, it, it's important to trust the power and the healing power of community. Solomon was going into this excessive consumption and still keeping his wisdom intact. <coughs> He's the God, you could sum up what he said here, is that I had everything and I felt nothing. Larger, faster. We always seem to want more. In fact, you know, this is going to seem like a rant against consuming. It's not a rant against consuming. This is not about owning things. This is not about having stuff. This is not about if, you're, if you've been good about managing your resources and you have stuff, awesome. My hat's off to you. you know, I, I cannot balance a checkbook to save my life. Thank God for online banking where you send out the payments and you know, what's left over is what you got. Awesome. <laughs> now I know I'm broke. You know? <laughs> but at least now there's not like at the ATM, it's not like a gamble. Like, okay, I, is there a 20 left in there to pull out? You remember those times when your balance is 1998? Dang it! Dang it! <laughs> then you have to go to a 7 Eleven to buy a pack of gum and pull out a $10 bill? Not that I've done that. I'm just saying that some of you have shared your financial inability to manage your financial. <laughs> How do you know when um, perhaps you are being consumed by the things that you're consuming? Uh, when I was a child, I was uh, in third grade is when I first started smoking. Um, okay, mistakes were made, all right? And uh, so, I, I don't know, it wasn't a pack a day, but it was, you know, because you're, you're a kid, so you're not so you can buy cigarettes, you'd have to bum them off, or I got to the place where I was picking them off the, the street. I mean, I was smoking. I was a child. I know, I know what some of you are thinking. Where were your parents? Uh, they were good people. They were just working hard. They, were, they had, both had day jobs. And, uh, you know, that three-far-hour window when your kids are un, uh, unattended to, so much mischief. So many things are discovered during those hours. There's school, and then there's the school of life. And uh, I was enrolled in the school of life. <laughs> and I feel Solomon when he says, I denied my heart no pleasure. If something was, like, interesting, I remember my first hit off a joint. I was the third grade, you know. And I guess I, if I was in junior high school and I had a, a, a kid who was like eight years old and he's hanging out with you, I guess to see him high is kind of funny, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys ever seen that video on YouTube, David after the dentist? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I think. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that is Octavio at the park. <laughs> this, is, <yeah. laughs> this, is, this is what I think it must have been like, you know? Hey, what do I care? I got free weed. But the point is that... <laughs> But it was during that time that I developed another respiratory issue. Um, I, I developed pneumonia. And so I, I was out of school for about uh, six months. I was homeschooled. That was my first homeschool experience was with my mom. And like, I told you that story. What, the point is I remember that, of course, as you know with pneumonia, your lungs are just filling with fluid and you're just drowning in your own disease. And what's odd is that I recall the different medications that they gave me, some to sleep, some to awake, some for this, this antibiotic, this thing, this to cough, this to stop coughing, now make up your mind, you know, and uh, stuff to gain weight. 
because I was already thin to begin with. So this, like, you know, I was like Jack Skellington, you know. Um, but I remember having to, uh, the stuff that they gave me to continue coughing and coughing. And I thought, this is horrible. I can't breathe. I, it's day and night. And then I had to collect it so they can, they can grow a um, specimen or whatever they were doing with it, you know. Maybe it's just a big prank to make me do that. But nonetheless, they were, that lesson always stuck with me. That's interesting that some of the stuff that, that, that collects in us, that keeps us from breathing, you know. And it has to come out. And I remember just thinking the, the allegory in my head about our, our soul sometimes is just fill up with our own junk. And what makes it worse is that we think, I just need a little bit more to breathe. And the reality is that you need all of it to be expectorated, you know, coughed out in a way. In a spiritual expectorant. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's stunning somehow how darkness blinds us to see the condition of our souls. Just driven by more. And I, want, I want to repeat myself. This is not about consuming or buying stuff. It is not about it. Because, it, 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 you know, that, that would be an easy, stupid thing to, to preach. And maybe you've been in churches where they talk about it. As the pastor drives a $70,000 car. Mine's maybe two grand. And uh, uh, paid for many, many years ago. But here's how I know, or here's how you can know, if you're driven by consumption. And here's how I know if you're being consumed by your consumption. You envy people who have more, and you ignore the people who have less. So let's say it's, uh, you know, you're working out and someone is, has a nicer physique than you. Larger home. The wife you wanted. The education you're, you're studying for. I mean, whatever, listen, everybody, somebody's always going to have more than us. If you resent that individual, not able to celebrate their, their benefit, their success, you're in the danger of, or you are being consumed by what you're consuming. If you ignore the people that have less than you, and you have stuff that you're not able to give or refuse to give, if you're not a generous person, you are being consumed by what you're consuming. I, I, I forgot the TED Talk that this is. It was a recent one. Anybody know TED Talks? A couple of you. Oh, awesome. You guys watch them too. Okay. Uh, TED, Technology, Entertainment, and Design. And, and uh, they're free, yeah, that's, which is incredible. There was a conferences that were held annually. There's a couple now that are being, I guess, held biannual. Um, Mosaic is actually going to ha- hold, uh, host a TEDx uh, conference later this year. But my point is that <clears throat> a recent conversation, a recent, to- a recent talk in February, I think it was posted, and I forget the gentleman's name now, but, but he measured happiness. It's actually something you could sort of, you know, get to and analyze and measure and determine. And you know what the threshold is to experience almost the maximum amount of happiness here in America, the income level? What do you think it is? Uh, this will be fun. What do you think it is? The, what, what income do you need to hit happiness? A little more than <laughs> Yeah, that's always the case, it seems like. But I think what, that, was, that, was, that was Getty's uh, response to, how many more millions do you need? Just one more. Yeah. Anybody know? Unemployment money is good, yeah. It's free. I'll give you the answer. It's 60,000, right. Someone had said it. Right, 60 grand. In other words, at 60 grand, most folks after that, 200,000, 600,000, a million a year, whatever you're making, your happiness level doesn't really change much. It plateaus at 60 grand. 
See, for, so that, for some of us, that ought to be really hopeful because you could be twice as happy as you are now. That as soon as you hit 60 grand, you're going to be really excited about life, you know? <clears throat> and it seems what changes people's happiness level after 60 grand is not more money. It's, the, it's how much more they give away. It's generosity. So whether they're involved in a nonprofit, whether they're involved in some other uh, philanthropy, whether they're doing stuff hands-on personally, like going into doing things for other people that they don't have to do, they just enjoy doing it, that increases their happiness level at that point. And for some of us, perhaps, we, we've missed this notion that living a generous life will actually give us more. Because we think we have to get more to feel more alive. And Solomon's a perfect example. See, look, Solomon was in the best position to help everybody in Israel. And instead, he consumed everything for himself. He had stuff. I mean, can we, we can at least agree on that, correct? And we can agree that as the king and in a monarchy, he doesn't have to ask Congress what to do. He can just do what he wants. And he had the resources to, and the time to do what he wanted to do. What do I do? Now, if you read the list, they're not like bad things, are they? I built parks, created choirs, building projects. This is like an awesome civic leader, except, he said, but it was driven for me, not the community, not the nation. So that even good things that you do, that are, that, that, see, this is what's confusing for those of you who are living a good life. You're doing the right thing. If your connection's not with God, then it's going to feel, why does this feel wrong? So everything was I, everything was me and, and myself. And he was feeding this machine. And as I mentioned a moment ago, you know, that would be bad enough to feel that horrible. But then we become horrible human beings by this. Here's what I mean by that. Remember I mentioned earlier that, that the universe cannot stand a vacuum? And neither can your soul. When you feel that emptiness, or you're disconnected from God and you're you know, trying to move on, trying to do the right thing, What's that? Is it, is it the, the dying stars that collapse and become the black hole thing, right? And begin sucking up everything around it? That's an exact great metaphor for how we are as human beings. We grasp for stuff around us, and what makes it worse, we become spiritual cannibals and suck the life out of other people. We're spiritual vampires. Except we don't glow in the daylight. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the worst part. It's you, not only do you find yourself envying those that have more, ignoring those that have less, feeling that you have everything, and, and then feeling nothing, but you end up then sucking up people's lives around you. And and then we wonder why it is that our relationships don't not working. Your greatness, your measurement of your soul. The health of your soul, you can almost measure it proportionally by what you give away. Sometimes it's your time, sometimes it's your love, sometimes it's your understanding, sometimes it's your concern. Sometimes it is just your stuff. And let's be honest, how many of you, don't raise your hands, because this is not like, oh yeah. How many of us have, have, you rent places to put stuff that you don't even use? How many of you have a garage with stuff in it that you can't put your car in it? Because you have stuff in it. 
And then you have your other cars parked on, you know, you follow? You have closets for stuff that you don't even use anymore. Clothing or linens or dishes and stuff. And then if someone was to ask you about it, you couldn't give it away. Listen, you, you, you are freer by how much you don't hang on to the stuff around you. Now, by the way, as I'm saying this, I, I am not speaking like I've arrived. I tend to be a, well, no, not a pack rat. I recycle things, you know. My, my view is, if I haven't used it or worn it in six months, it's gone. My sons love me for the fact that I don't have to buy clothes. I just give them my stuff, you know, and they're, we're about the same size. But I know my tendency is to consume, is to buy even when I don't need it. Hey, here's something on sale. Fortunately, it's my size. What are you holding on to that's actually choking life out of you? What stops you from living a generous life? If you are experiencing a sense of consumption, or rather, if you are experiencing a sense of meaningless, like you're hitting a wall spiritually and emotionally in your life, it may just be that it's that you just consume so much that you're no longer able to, to feel or sense God's voice to you. I'll give you one last metaphor because it's kind of stupid, like the other ones were not. You know how we do that thing at Thanksgiving? <laughs> Thanksgiving is just like celebrating gluttony, isn't it? We're just, you know, celebrating unbridled avarice and food. We're just <laughs> on the sofa, right? You can't even breathe because it's so tight, right? I make pie. You walk over there, and we're like grizzly bears shot with a dart gun. You know, we're just, we're not even talking anymore. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> It's okay and funny if it's once a year with our stomachs, you know. But it is not funny when we live that way with our souls. We become so lethargic and weird within ourselves, and then we just think, I just need just one more bite, and then I'll be happy. Then I'll be satisfied. You won't. What you need is to taste and see that the Lord is good and experience Him through Jesus Christ. Hey, let me close briefly in a prayer, and then we have some announcements, and then we'll uh, come back in for a minute. Father, help us to be people who are measured by what we give away, not by what we have, not by what we own. I pray that you help us not to be owned by the things that we own, and help us to find our meaning in you, not in what we do, not what we wear, not what we own, not what we have earned. I thank you for this book that seems to be so uh, faithless that asks the question that we should be asking ourselves. In your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.